Next Chapter Podcasts. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. The 500 The 500 J.A.M. been walking us down through that 2012 edition, so it ain't nothing too new. Hundreds more to go, and in need of a friend, the king of peace for Angelo, talking the 500 until the end. Talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.A.M. On the 500, talking the 500 until the end. Yo, this shit slizzaps. This is Have You Seen My Baby? I'm telling you, this podcast is making me a Randall Newman fan. Randall P. Newman. I have no idea if that's his middle initial, but what I do know is that this dude consistently, consistently is blowing me away. This is from his 1970 record, 12 songs. Guess what? There's 12 songs on it. And it's also number three, five, six out of five, zero, zero on the five hundred. Man, we got a long way to go. Anybody know math? Because we got a while. Uh, what's up, podcast enthusiasts? What's up, Fleece Army? What's up, you kadoogly spooglies? I'm here in my new apartment in Manhattan in Gramercy. You can find me. Uh, Living the life, enjoying my time here. Uh, I love being in New York, man. I'm, uh, I'm tired right now because every night tends to end around four or five in the morning and then I get home and then I watch like Man versus Food or really what I've been really into recently is watching Family Feud with Steve Harvey. Have you joined the Patreon? Patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. Give us your money because we need help. I uh, spent so much money on this move and uh, we're paying all of our employees. This is a a difficult time for everybody. So if you can spend $5 and help us out because you love the show and you want to help support me finish this, because that's what I'm saying, man. If you want us to get to the end, if you want me to get to the end of this podcast, give us your fucking money. And and I, I only cuss because I'm an idiot and I don't know how to form real sentences without cussing uh me and Lekka, we need it 
Look at dog. She's here with me right now. This dog. You want to hear something crazy? So I moved in. I took my friend Rosebud Baker's uh, old apartment. She moved literally across the street. She blessed me with this apartment. This is a, an apartment I am never going to give up. I'm going to Airbnb it. I'm going to sublease it, but I'm never giving this apartment up. From what everybody has told me, you do not give up a New York apartment if your name is on the lease and it's dope. And she told me I have this, she has this neighbor named Joanne who's very sweet, very New York, uh, but is going to meet me and, and love Lekka and just, you know, we'll be homies as long as I play by the rules. And I only brought from LA my Sono speakers. I don't know if you remember, they were a sponsor of the 500, but I, before that, before they gave me like three, nah, about $2,000 worth of speakers, I uh, I bought about 2,000. So I have $4,000 worth of speakers and I need them in my apartment. Also, uh, just to let everybody know, like I'm listening to the albums that we're doing, like I'm, like I'm getting ready for the Yardbirds, but I am listening to so much jazz right now, like Miles Davis, Oscar Peterson Trio. I'm listening to everything jazz related. New York is a jazz city and it's a perfect thing to listen to when you walk. And last night I'm at the stand and I get a text from Rosebud. She did the, if you don't remember, she's a great comic. She did uh, Vampire Weekend with me. And I remember when she did Vampire Weekend, she was moving into this apartment and was like, yo, uh, I just got the greatest apartment in New York City. And now it's mine, which is fucking cool, man. And she texts me, she goes, uh, Joanne just texted me, and it's like 2.30 in the morning. She's like, Joanne just texted me that um, that your music is really loud right now, and she wants you to please try to keep it down past 10 p.m. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm not even home. And then I run home, jump on a city bike, pedal as fast as I can, get to my apartment, and what's playing? Fucking like Radiohead, like, you know, what is that song? Uh, Burn the Witches, like, yank, 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 yank. And I am, I just feel so bad. And then I guess there was like a short in one of my Sono speakers or something. Uh, so yeah, man, we promoted them. <laughs> Who knew that they would just randomly turn on and start playing Brit Rock? But join the Patreon. That's what I'm trying to say. And if you can't do that because you don't have the money, just uh, subscribe to our YouTube, youtube.com backslash Josh Adam Myers. Help support me because if you support the YouTube, uh, and I mean this, man, stop what you're doing right now and join the YouTube. Just subscribe. All the subscribing uh, really does help. It helps us be financially independent. Um, I want to break away from the machine. I want to rage against it. So help us. All right. Um, oh, yeah. So every night of the week, I'm at the Comedy Cellar. I'm at the Stand. Those are my two home clubs here in New York City. I'm doing a goddamn comedy jam in Los Angeles, August 23rd. The lineup is fucking sick. Burr, Haddish, Melissa Villasenor, Jay Farrow. Stay tuned. It's going to sell out immediately, L.A. So uh, I can't tell you the venue yet because it's so dope. It's, it's really cool. Oh, my God. Oh, dude, I got to talk about this. I have to talk about this. Um, I'm sorry this one's going to go long, but I have to. I went to go see Guns N' Roses at MetLife Stadium. It was my first concert as a true New Yorker, um, and I was so excited. My friend Brian hooked me up with tickets. Uh, incredible. Brian Klein, love him to death. He manages Duff, and we became homies over the last few years through Bill. And um, and this is the third time I've seen Guns N' Roses. And we had insane seats. 13 rows back. I could see everything. I could touch. If I ran if I ran to the stage, I could touch. But no, but security wouldn't be able to stop me. I'd have, they'd have no time. I was that close. And so I'm so excited. Every time I've seen Guns N' Roses post the reunion, they've been incredible. Axel's voice was on fire. But man... 
How the Mighty Have Fallen. And the band ripped. They sounded so good. I don't know if Axel was dealing with something or it's just age or, man. You know, they're hard songs to sing in his defense. Hard, but it was, I think he was singing like as, as my friend Katie Riggs, my vocal coach, whose father is Seth Riggs, who is arguably the greatest vocal coach. He, he coached uh, Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston and a few others. Um, she would say that, that Axel was probably singing in a, above his head voice because, you know, the notes are like, but I think he's almost whispering it like, dude, it, I have a video of it. They were, they ripped through the show was so great. I'm just saying like, you know, you get to 60 years old and it, it's just, it was, it was, you could hear it. And um, I mean, maybe it was just an off night, uh, but go see him. Please go see Guns N' Roses if you've never seen them because they are still arguably one of the best bands. Slash, Duff, uh, the the keyboardist Dizzy, and their drummer. I mean, incredible. I think it's Tommy Stinson is on. Um, is this bad? Should I have not said this? They were great. I can't thank. I, I'm a huge. Everybody knows how big of a Guns N' Roses fan I am. Go see them. You have to before you know they stop doing it. Um, it's just. It's like, fuck, man. All right. I'm sorry. That was my rant. Um, God, I just like you guys so much. I felt like I should be honest. Okay. Let's talk about Randy Newman. So this is our second record uh, that we've done on the podcast. Uh, much like I've said before, you know, I-, I didn't know what to expect. I only know Pixar stuff. So uh, each record that we've done, Good Old Boys and now 12 Songs, has been a record that I have thoroughly enjoyed. I love the humor in it. And I I just, I mean, you can't not listen to Randy Newman and understand how much of a musical genius this guy is and how he writes on a level that some songwriters only wish they could even touch. And and it's funny. And so today, oh shit, Luck, Luck is knocking over the mic. So today we got us a guest uh, that is extremely funny. We have the one and only uh, Tim Heidecker. Uh, you should know him as being one half of Tim and Eric Awesome Show. Great job. You've seen him in the Jordan Peele movie Us. Uh, him and Eric Warheim are uh, two of the uh, funniest people you're going to see. And absurd. And I've watched so many hours of their shows. I love them to death. And Tim is a fun guy to talk to, man. Like, I was a little nervous because, you know, I never met him before and I'm a fan. So uh, he was just the perfect guest for this. And then we find out later that he actually had Randy Newman on his podcast. I think the day that we taped this, he taped his own because he has a show called Office Hours Live. It's a weekly call show, uh, which you can find at patreon.com backslash office hours live. And um, I wish he would have let me know because I would have been like, dude, we could have like fucking talked about what you were going to talk about. But great episode. You guys are going to enjoy it. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free anywhere you get your pods. If you listen on Apple, leave us a five-star rating. Leave a review for me. 
Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. And you can go to my website, joshadammyers.com for all tickets and links to shows that I'll be doing. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com and follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan at 500 Podcast with Jam. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, Randy, do you want to intro the show? Sure. Here we go with number 356 out of a five hundred with the twelve songs about me, ready to do it. So we're just flying by the seat of our pants, dude. Great. Wherever this goes is where it goes. Dude, we might not even talk about Randy. We might just Low talk stakes. about, mo- <laughs> we might talk about Monsters, Inc. for the next hour and a half. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I so I guess let's just dive right in because well the first thing I want to tell you is I actually wore this Temple Owls jersey Ooh, for you, you because you? because my dad uh, went to Temple and in the eighties he turned me on to John Cheney and Mark Macon. I don't know what year did you go to Temple University? Uh, like ninety four to ninety eight. So ninety four to so, John Cheney was still there. Oh yeah, Aaron McKee, sure. yeah. Aaron McKee, Eddie Jones. I, I have to admit, I'm an I'm an art I'm an art snob. Uh, the, no. other, the art F. So I was, but the funny, <laughs> the funny, uh, <laughs> the art F word. I was um, on the same floor as a lot of the basketball players um, in my freshman year, which was the funny. It was me and Eric Wareheim, my my comedy partner. Uh, yeah. That's how we met. And it was us and a couple other film school guys, and then like the Temple basketball team. And so it's a very strange place to be. Just two very funny, like artsy, fartsy film students, and then like this six foot eight uh, yeah. starting center, Tony Batie. Yeah. <laughs> Not a ton of common ground, but. No, but, it's okay. but they were like, man, those two white motherfuckers are funny as shit. Yeah. Oh, we got a game. <laughs> we got to play UMass. No, I really thought yeah. we were going to connect over it. God. Sorry. It's all good, dude. I mean, I yeah, you know, <laughs> I, what what did I? It's it's like how much did I get out of a, a state school that had a film department? Not a ton, but I did no. meet my uh, my my creative life partner. So, which is beautiful. Which is beautiful. Yeah. And your creative life partner is John Cheney, <laughs> the coach of the Temple Owls basketball team, best yeah. defensive scheme creator in the history of the NCAA. Uh, that's the show, had, everybody. I also had Bill Cosby <laughs> speak at my uh, at whatever that's called. What when you graduate? What's that called? The graduation the commencement. ceremony. Commencement. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he spoke, and I don't. I think he might have been wearing sweatpants. You oh know? yeah, that that's, was that's, that was his level of commitment to the event. <laughs> so I'm letting everybody know that yeah. you got to pull your pants up and make sure you're wearing comfy comfies. Good for yeah. him. You gonna? I, I gotta ask this because we ask all our guests. If Cosby's coming to your town now that he's released, are you going? <laughs> I would, I would, if I, if I could sneak in, uh, I would roofie his, uh, his green room. I'd roofie the shit out of his green room and see what happens. Nice. nice. <laughs> All, right. All right. Let's get to, let's get to Randall Newman. Mm. Um, this is our second record that we've done uh, with Randy Newman on the podcast. And, you know, uh, Tim, for for me, I always looked at Randy Newman. This is this is prior to listening to the record that we did before, which was Good Old Boys. 
Good old boys. Thank you. Gosh, geez, my brain. Um, so we did good old boys. Incredible record. Incredible mm-hmm. record. And also for, for me is somebody that literally only knew him from the scores that he did from I Love L.A. You know, I knew he was he was funny, but I, I just I mean, truth be told, mm-hmm. I didn't take him very seriously as like a solo artist. And now after digging into him, I just keep feeling like I'm getting more mind blowing uh, experiences with every record that we've listened to. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, so whereas mine started maybe a few months ago, uh, tell me about yours. Like, when did you first hear Randy Newman? Uh, I'm in the same boat, I think, but I might start 10 years earlier because I, uh, I, I grew up uh, certainly knowing I love L.A., maybe short people. Um, and but I loved his scores. I mean, I mean, we all I grew up watching The Natural, uh, you know, with Robert Redford. Uh, and um, that movie was we had the soundtrack to that. I just thought that was the most exciting piece of beautiful, exciting piece of music. And I just knew him kind of that way. And I remember, I guess, in about 2001 or 2002, I had a friend who was uh, had a friend who was uh, Randy Newman's son. It was kind of like one of the first sort of, you know, quasi or related to a famous person, person I've ever met. <laughs> and uh, this guy named John, one of Randy's sons. And uh, I was like, oh, man, I'm such a fan of your dad's. And he goes, oh, yeah, what's your favorite album? And I was just like, eh. <laughs> Wally. The natural <laughs> soundtrack. Uh, and I really just didn't know that he had this this sort of singer songwriter 70s uh, back catalog. Um and, and so I, I kind of lodged that in the back of my head. And then a, year, a few years later, I was living in, I just moved to LA and somebody had recommended this memoir by the guy, in the, this guy E from the band Eels. You remember the band Eels? Oh yeah, I love um, the Eels. Yeah. And I, some, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a huge fan or anything, but I kind of um, uh, read this memoir just because it was recommended. And in that, he talked about his, obsession with randy newman specifically good old boys and when somebody goes deep into that and sort of talks about this is a record i couldn't stop listening to and i listened to it for a week nonstop, uh that makes you like that made me perk up and like dig in and it really hit me at the right time in the right way and so that was that record's kind of my entry point and then yeah actually you know like nilson uh i was also a big harry nilson fan and finding nilson sings newman which is another classic album that uh, were, you know, it was very, very strange because Randy Newman wasn't very well known. He was more known as like in town as a great songwriter, 
or an emerging songwriter and had put out a couple albums and, or maybe just one album. And Harry Nilsson was like pretty big. And he decided one of like his next album was going to be just covering all Randy Newman songs, which is really strange, you know, to think about like making that move as a, as a successful artist. Yeah. Um, and so that's like a nice entryway too. Cause like, I think we all can get it out of the way that like Randy Newman's voice, much like Bob Dylan's or, uh, you know, other people's voice sometimes becomes a barrier for entry because it's just too idiosyncratic or too grating or uh, not pleasant to to some people, you know, I get that. Yeah. It's not, he's not, you know, he doesn't have a velvet voice like Neil Diamond, Mm -hmm. you know, not saying that, Maybe I'm the only person that feels that Neil Diamond has a velvety voice, but right. but Randy has a, a certain style and all of his songs just it's it's like it's almost like he his voice is him trying to just like play a joke on everybody. But it's yeah. but then it's like you're like, oh, wow, this is incredible songwriting. All right. So 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 continue what you're saying. So you listen to the Harry Nielsen record. Yeah, that and good old boys. And then I just went down the rabbit hole into uh, this record, 12 songs, Sail Away and, you know, all the rest. I mean, at some point, I I, I don't know how far into like the 70s and 80s I go. I, like, I feel like, uh, but, uh, but, you know, I think Bad Love is a great record, which is 99. And uh, he always like, there's always every few years, he comes out with kind of a great song about the times we're living in. He, he made, I don't think everything he's ever done is, you know, something I'm going to listen to every day. And I do go through like periods where I get really deep into him and then I need to take a break and I don't need to hear Randy Newman on the radio necessarily. But he's, I think what opened, what opened up in me, what about him that opened up in me, I've always done music. I've always made music going back to high school and before that, you know, like, I think this is true with a lot of comedians, like a lot of us start wanting to do something creative, um, wanting to express ourselves in various ways. A lot of times the first thing we do is we get a band together, like, cause it's a social yep. activity. And so I was just a huge music guy and I loved um, the Beatles and sort of the classic rock scene and, you know, Dylan. And uh, that was kind of my thing. And, um, and then I kind of just drift and I also loved comedy and I drifted towards comedy and I kind of the first thing that struck for me was comedy like the first thing that that gave me an opportunity to be creative professionally was through my partnership with Eric and and making funny stuff and music just didn't seem viable and I also just wasn't probably good enough and I didn't really have anything to say in that space. But I always found ways to use, you know, have music in our work and and make and write music. And then when I kind of tapped into Randy Newman, I realized you could, uh, you know, because I always just separated music and comedy so much. And I know there's like Weird Al and there's there's ways to to do both. Yeah. Um, but there was something about the way Randy could be could put himself into a character and and be funny, but and then like two minutes later be really sad and also two minutes later be talking about um you know race or politics or religion um and be, just be going back and forth in very clever melodic um sometimes really funky sometimes really 
uh, pretty ways that I realized like, oh, I could, I could come, I could try to write music sort of in that style where I can either write in character or I could write ironically, um, but not, but, but the quality of the music can still be important. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. There's, there's something, like I said, there's something very, very special about this because I love how you said the comparison between with comedy and music, because that's a hundred percent true about everybody. I, I mean, I do this music comedy show called the goddamn comedy jam where comics uh, do stand up, then they tell a story about a song and then they sing that song uh, with a, uh, with my band. And it's mm -hmm. to see how many comics like want to be rock stars or fall into that so easily because there is a, a similarity uh, definitely between the performance of comedy and the, and the same feeling you get from, from being with the band. Yeah. Um, so before I go any further on that, I just want to know, like, what did you play in the band? I mean, I played guitar and, you know, mostly guitar, just not a great guitar player, but just kind of, I mean, I was more of like a singer and a songwriter. So I would be in various groups, various different incarnations of uh, friends and, and, you know, some of it is awful. And just, I mean, all of it's awful if you yeah. go back far <laughs> enough, you know, it's, but, but there was actually, there was always comedy. There's always a little bit of humor in it or trying to be funny. And, um, you know, I think only in the past few years have I like, as I've put records out every few years, like, have I had the confidence to like, not only be funny and like actually talk about my own experiences a little bit. But I feel like when you're in your twenties, like, what the fuck do you know about anything to sing about? And that yeah. hasn't been sung a million times already. So, you know, uh, I just felt like everything, you know, my musical bug could be scratched through like, or my musical itch could be scratched through, you know, funny parody songs or pastiches of things. Um, but Randy's doing his own thing, which is like, like a weird layered thing where I think he he's able to like sort of, uh, disguise himself into these first person narrator characters that he's singing about, um, but also probably tell you a lot about what he thinks about the world through those, you know, and it's very clever. And um, there's something very absolutely uniquely American about the kind of music he plays, where it comes from, the like the lineage and heritage of the Dixieland blues country, you know, base that he works from, that when you tie that with his observations about race and women and men and men in general, like it becomes this really, really, really smart, layered, uh, you know, satire or, you know, he just becomes like a great American thinker about the, about the 20th century, you know? in his songs it's so much deeper than than what i think the majority of the public knows about him it's like when you just take him at the surface of like okay it's the soundtrack for beating the beast or the soundtrack for this or the soundtrack mm -hmm. for that you just write him off as like oh this is a guy just they call him when they have like a, a like a pixar movie and then right when you when you really i mean this is just for me i, I mean listening to good old boys it completely blew me away where i was like god some of the shit he's saying is so relevant to what's going on in the world today and then he's saying it in such a funny way right. that you almost don't even realize that he's giving you this 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 look into uh racism in the south or or jim crow laws or or whatever it is and and with this record i mean it, it's 
let me hold on. Let me let me see if I can find the bio for this in the background so we can pull that up. So, so here, so let's just go for a little background on what this record is. This is the second studio release from Randy Newman. Came out in April of 1970, uh, and of course, it features only 12 tracks. Hence, why it's called 12, 12 tracks. Songs, yeah, 12 uh, songs. That uh, the other person. Can you name the other person that's got an album called 12 Songs? No, I can't. Neil Diamond. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, that's Neil... the one he did with Rick Rubin, maybe? Yeah, man. Yeah. And it is and it is Neil at his full Neeliest. I mean, he is... I mean, you could feel the rhinestone shirt he's wearing with, like, the little, like, cowboy things on it. All acoustic. Right. My friend uh, Tom Sharpling uh, made this funny joke about that record and, and Rick Rubin about, like, what is it that Rick Rubin does? I think what he does is just sends the band home. That's all he does. Just say like, <laughs> I don't know, play these uh, songs on your acoustic guitar. Let's try that. You know, and it's like, is that okay? Cool, great. Thanks like, a lot. All right, Dave Mustaine from Megadeth. I've got a, I've yeah. got a great idea. It's just here's, you and the yeah. guitar and your here's songs your, about war. <laughs> yep. Here's your, you know, and that might be great. But I mean, probably, dude. Rick Rubin's producing. I'll tell you one thing. It's gonna sound full. It's gonna sound full. The sound. The drums heart. are gonna. The drums, which even if he's doing a solo record, there'll still be drums yeah. in it for some reason. Mm-hmm. We'll have a really good snare nice sound. Room, nice room tone. Nice room tone. Very good. I met him at an Abbott Brothers concert, and uh, it's the same situation when I met him that I had when I met Rick Rubin. Is that I flipped out, and all the people around me had no idea who I was talking to. They thought I was just talking to some. Um, I'm saying I say Rick Rubin. I meant Rick Ross. Yeah, but right. I met Rick Ross. By Mick Rip. My experience meeting Rick Ross, the hip hop star, was the same as meeting Rick Rubin. Where, where, like when I met Rick Rubin, the people around me were like, "Who is this this homeless guy that you were so excited to meet?" And I was like, "Oh, that's like one of the greatest producers in the last like 30, 40 years." And right. when I was at the Irwan meeting Rick Ross, all these white people came up to me they were like, "Who is that black guy that you were talking mm-hmm. to?" And I was like, "That's the black Bruce Springsteen." How do you not know that? <laughs> Well, um, since since we're on this topic, would you like to hear my meeting Randy Newman story? My God, is, yes. I mean, were you, were you, when were you going to bring that out? I'm I'm waiting for my my uh, on ramp. Give me here. it. I want um, all of it. I yeah. want all of it, Tim. I had, um, like I said, I knew his son, so that that's a side thing. But I didn't I didn't use I never used that to meet the guy after I became sort of a apostle of his. Um, but I happened to know the director of of Toy Story Three, a guy named Lee Unkrich. Um, and I just knew him through Twitter and he was a fan and, um, he was in LA, uh, scoring Toy Story three. And he knew that I loved Randy Newman. He said, said, do you want to come down to the, uh, scoring of where, you know, the scoring stage where they're basically recording the orchestra for Toy Story three. And I just, you know, said, absolutely. So went down there and there's the man conducting a, 72 piece orchestra in the scoring stage where they did you know the uh the wizard of oz like this worlds of hollywood cool shit were just kind of colliding and yeah man so i didn't meet him there but i saw him and i kind of was a get to got to watch him work but then at the premiere of that movie which i also went to i saw him there and i said okay i at least have an entry into saying hello because i was at the scoring session and I went over and he was talking to somebody. I politely said, uh, Mr. Newman, I was at the uh, scoring session for, for this movie here. And he goes, oh, yeah, what did you play? 
And I was like, oh, man, this is already awkward. No, I was And I had to explain. No, I was just visiting. And you could see him kind of being like, oh, OK. Like he thought I was in the orchestra. Right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, which I understand. And then I was, so I was like, strike one. And then I just followed that with like, but I, I just want to tell you, I'm like such a fan of your old records. And, you know, this, and I just I don't know why I said old records, but he just gave me this look. He said, you should check out my new ones. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I get it. And it's that thing, A, like, never meet your idols because it's yeah. always uncomfortable for you and them. And uh, and also, like, those guys, I mean, all these guys, they still want to be relevant. They still want to be loved for what they're doing now. They don't, I, and I feel that way about my own work. Like, I don't care that you like something I did 10 years ago. Have you been, have you checked out what I did today? Because that's what I'm actually interested in. Of course. That's yeah. what I care about. So, you know, then I saw him again because I went to go see him at a festival up in Canada um, and I saw him in the airport and I knew just being like, I'll, I'll let the man be. I do yeah. not need to go and say, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like, hey, I saw you at the premiere of Toy Story 3. Oh, yeah. What voice did you do? Ah, here we go. Back in the <laughs> so. No, you're like, no, I was I played piccolo in the orchestra. Yeah, exactly. I learned. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was cool. And, you know, it's 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 uh, it's. I'll treasure the moment I got to just speak with him a little bit because I just do think he is like one of the one of the greats, one of the gods of 20th century uh, music. I gotta, I gotta Popular ask music. this. No, I and I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. But I have to ask this just because you mentioned it. Because like, what is the utmost, most awkward run-in you've had with a celebrity? Because I know you probably met a bunch. Yeah, I mean, I've had a, a view 90%, you know, positive for sure, but. I would think the, the the most awkward recent one was I I had this amazing opportunity to to work on a sort of a creative pitch with David Byrne and I'm a I wow. mean Talking yeah. Heads up way up there for me way way we up had, there we had oh. Jerry Harrison on the podcast uh, oh cool and it was great because it was right around the time we were doing Modern Lovers so we could have him talk about uh -huh. Modern Lovers and we had him talk about uh, Talking Heads uh, well I'm sure some he's had about. some. I'm sure he's had some awkward experiences with David Byrne too. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> but so, so mine was, I had this wonderful couple of days kind of just like talking to him about this idea and, and really kind of, well, I don't know. We just had some nice, nice hangs and I felt like comfortable with him a little bit, which is very strange because uh, of, of what a icon he is and what he meant to me. Yeah. And then like a year later, he played in LA at the, I don't know where, one of these places and um we went we were invited by his manager and went went to sort of after show like party on the side there as you know which are never the great a great place to like hang i think generally because it's just it's like a wedding reception or something like and he was kind of doing that wedding reception thing where he's kind of going down the line of people saying hi and he got to me and just nothing clicked there was no memory of meeting me ever and it quickly went from like that to like the next guy and i was like oh man really hurt and i was so mad because i didn't want to do it I, w I wanted to stay out of that line but i was with a friend who was like come on let's get a picture with david Byrne. come on let's, he knows you you'd have a good you know i was like oh, i don't i don't want to put that on him you know yeah but, but i know he's got like who knows maybe he it was just you know i've been in that situation too where you just blank on somebody but whatever <laughs> but at he the looked inside... at me like what are you like it was more of like it was kind of a what are you doing here but also kind of like i'm gonna 
I'm going to play this off. Like I just, um, now I have to go over here, you know, like, uh, yeah. so, <laughs> and on the inside yeah. the whole time you're like, you know me. Yeah. But we talked Give about life something. and you told me stories about br- meeting Brian Wilson from the beach boys. And, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. uh, you know, what's funny is, so the last time we did for, we did good old boys. We had, uh, I don't know. Do you know, uh, there's a comedian and writer. He works on marvelous Miss Maisel. His name is Jordan temple, uh, brilliant comic. Mm. Um, and he has a very, very similar story uh, about meeting Randy, but, uh, it, it's what's so great. It's just that, you know, sometimes the, you know, meeting that, that celebrity that you love, it, it can, like you said, it could be this, this, this short, sweet thing, which you're just like, I met Tom York at, we both mm-hmm. did outside lands and it was so quick, but it was like, just perfect. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes we feel like we're annoying him. Sometimes we don't, but either way, it's like with, with Jordan, it, it's just, it's the same thing that kind of applies to this situation, which is like that Randy's new Randy Newman's music works on so many different people because Jordan is, you know, I think a little bit younger than me, maybe like 32, 33 years old, uh, black dude. And it's like, he identifies with Randy's music more than any other artist, which is just so interesting. And I think it is, I think it is because of, of the kind of music that, that Randy is kind of providing, which is this, you know, these takes, on society and with a little bit of humor intact. So of mm-hmm. course, Randy's going to make that joke with you, which is like, well, you got to hear my new stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, that's, that's who, who he is. is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's not, it's not vindictive or mean spirited. It's just, and that's the mode of communication that guys like that, you know, operate in, operate with. And I do too. And sometimes you don't think about the receiving end of that all the time. No, um, not completely. Yeah. Do you, and also do he's you, like a 78 year old man or whatever it is. And I'm, a, you know, it's like, he's an older guy. That's like, probably, I don't know why I should connect with him. Like, I don't know. It feels like we're from very different backgrounds and generations. Like there's no expectation that I should suddenly become pals with him. And yeah, anyway, even hope. if you, yeah, we, we always just have that nestle yeah. of like, Man, this is, this is it. I'm going to meet Beck yeah. and Beck is going to think I'm the man. Right. And instead I scared the shit out of him and his children. Right. That was my run in with Beck. It was, it was not good. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? 
I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Um, so let's let's talk about this record in particular. Yeah. Um, what do you connect with on this record? And, 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 uh, you know, like, how does it make you feel from listening to it, especially now as compared to when you first heard it? I think listening back to it, I hadn't listened to it for a little while. So I've been listening to it. It's a really funky, fun record in a lot of places. Like it grooves and it's got like a, a cook cooking quality to it, you know, like, the yes. first, have you seen my baby and mama told me not to come, which like, is so funny that um it's it was like a three dog night hit right yeah and it's not funny when three dog night does it at all it's like you don't think about it as a funny song but this is really funny um i think it's really funny this like it kind of reminds me there's this in the uh the movie the christopher guest movie about the folk songs um oh a mighty wind your mighty wind they had a song that the three of those guys had in the movie which was um never did no wandering. And it was this like song about singing about how you never really went anywhere. And this feels like a similar joke to me that like, there's nothing, there's nothing cool at all about the, the sentiment of that song. Like it's a, it's a, not a fun character to put yourself in. He's kind of a, a whiny loser. Yeah. Who's like complaining about this party. So, yes. um, but yet it has this groove to it um song rosemary too is like funky and just like uh really a great the band on this record is fantastic i don't like the, the songs that kind of confound me uh because i feel like maybe he's just hasn't dialed it in yet is the racial stuff where it's like don't exactly know what your point of view is on on like yellow man and underneath the harlem moon where it's sort of like I think it's coming from a good intention of like, of recalling a, a like an early 20th century um, simplistic. I'm curious if there's more more out there about that. I feel like on the next record, on this is sort of like a uh, proto proto uh, you know uh, political commentary style record from him. It's not really there all there yet. Um, yeah. You know, he's like dancing around it a little bit. Then he comes in with, well, I think his next record is Sail Away. And the first track on that, Sail Away, it's like that hits hard about race. That song is basically from the perspective of a slave trader. And the, the one way message he's sending to Africans that are about to get on the slave ship to come over to America with the message of almost like a cruise ship saying like how great things are going to be when you get to america yeah and that's so dark and so and so simple that you know you'd have to be very dim to not understand what he's saying with that song by not yeah. saying you know but you know when i listen back to this record i don't know if it's all there on something like yellow man or underneath the harlem moon i don't really know what he's doing there. And maybe he's spoken about it or there's writing about it, but. Adam, let me ask uh, you a question, cool. not to cut you off. Adam, can you no. find out how far after uh, this record came out, uh, Good Old Boys came out? I think, I'll tell you, I think it's like two or like three or four years. Cause it's, 
this record then right away is sail away and then two years later is is good old boys so okay so and, and whereas good old boys is like a very focused album where it's like you, a concept you, album really yes yeah very very yeah, definitely it's, it's it's like his that's like his dark side if you want to put yeah. it as that <laughs> but but this one i mean i'm looking at some of the topics that he talks about he's, he's talking about love he's talking about sex he is talking about racial prejudice and he's still mm -hmm. once again like he did in good old boys he's starting to talk about life in the south yeah um, old kentucky but, home yeah. yeah but but in this figure this out i don't know what's going on i mean you know i was born in 1979 but like you know 1970 was when this comes out i mean how many artists do you think are actually tackling a lot of those subjects yes love yes sex but i mean racial prejudice and life in the south especially a white guy doing that you know it's funny to think about that this is the same year that uh the band the band came out the, their second album. And I hear a lot of similarities actually between this record and that record. And just sort of the the general like um, basement tapes, uh, this period, this Bob Dylan, the band uh, tip, dipping into that old weird America um, storytelling and folk songs and, and the, and how race has really been you know, the central story in American history since the beginning. And it's not something that just came around with Martin Luther King. It's been throughout. And it's, you know, and when when Randy Newman kind of dips back into this kind of turn of the century sound, he's not doing it with nostalgic intentions necessarily. He's like recalling a period where it was probably even worse. You know, it was definitely yeah. even worse than it yeah. is in 1970. Uh, whereas like the band um, is doing it too, in a way with like, you know, the night they drove old Dixie down there's that's a, that's, you know, a song from the Southern perspective about, um, you know, losing the civil war, yeah. which is, is like, a, is a dangerous, it's dangerous territory, you know, like to sing about. And I think their intentions are right that it's sort of like the perspective of Virgil Kane in uh, the night they drove old Dixie down is sort of a guy trapped in the middle. He's just a poor, you know, dirt farmer, a white guy who gets drafted basically and is seeing his his surroundings destroyed by the North. And he probably doesn't have an opinion on race, you know. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm I'm maybe drawing outside the line a little bit. No, 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 no. I think it's apt. I think what you're saying is 100 percent apt. I think like it's it's. <sighs> You know, especially right now with everything that's kind of going on in the world where they're, you know, we're, we're not trying to like hide the past and be like, well, we don't want to honor it, of course. And I, and I get the whole not honoring it, but this mm -hmm. is all stuff that happened in, in our American culture. And now there's this war between people that are saying like, no, we want to teach everybody about mm -hmm. what happened so we can learn from yeah. it and be progressive. Yeah. When then there's the other, another side that's like, well, let's just not talk about it anymore, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is insane. Or just but, talk about the very, just like stick to this very sanitized sort of children's book version of American history. That's not very accurate. Yeah. yeah, it's like there was slavery. Then, then Abraham Lincoln said, "No more slaves." Yeah, and then yeah, it was yeah. a peaceful existence right. until until George Floyd. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but I, that is well, that's why I think something like this, and even the bands, the night they drove Dixie down, is mm -hmm. so important because you can't hide what has happened and yeah. in our society. And so, so to have an artist, and this is what's so fucking funny, is like 
if I wish the world would just be like, listen, stop, stop thinking he's only these movie soundtracks. Like this dude, it's like I want to scream it from the mountaintops. Like, dude, you have a you have a, a sociologist that is that is funny that is telling you about how yeah. fucked up shit was and. Oh man, it's like I want to get Randy Newman's a God T-shirts. I think we should make yeah. those, Tim. I think we well, should do that. We should tell I everybody. The, uh, I have the little criminals uh, poster up in my in my office down here. I don't know if you can see that. It's him on I the see freeway. It. But um, yeah, I'm just actually looking at like the, the lyrics of Yellow Man because that one does really because I feel like there's some songs where he leaves it off the he leaves it out of the uh, like the overt like it's in it's in the it's in in between the lines, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, well, that one, is it even in between the lines or is he just like, <laughs> you know, I don't know where it is. It's like, cause it has that Oriental style music, like the piano kind of, you know, those, whatever they're called, the fifths that sort of, you know, Kung Fu fighting style oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. tone. And it's sort of just like, what, it, I don't know. Like, how did people, how did people process that? How did critics who were probably like, you know, uh, um, progressive minded for 1970 or whatever. Like, is it, what was the reaction to that? I just so, really, I mean, so I've does got, anyone know? I've got it all, I've got it all. I've got the critical reception uh, pulled up yeah. right now. So the album got, uh, received positive reviews from contemporary critics. Okay, so Keith Phillips from the AV Club, which I think the AV Club back in 1970? No, good I think good that, for the Huffington yeah. Post. <laughs> they, they were re yeah they were really they were really really small back then but it just it took off only 10 yeah. years ago but they've been reviewing ever since so this guy says uh began to gather a following beyond critics and fellow songwriters to the album that doesn't really explain anything let's see what rolling stone magazine said they gave it a rave review when it was released hailing the album as the full emergence of a leading innovator in rock and roll mm. and then the village voice uh, called it the best record of 1970, finding the songwriting, production, and performances superior and, quote-unquote, more accessible than the great but weird album that preceded it. So I'm looking right. at the reviews. I mean, nobody's saying... Let me see if I can find anything about the racial stuff. Um, nobody's really mentioning that besides saying right. that it's like you know that it's that it's the easy swinging satire of america that's what we get from a rolling mm. stone album guide um yeah i mean I, i'll just like attribute it to like in in the context of the album he's never he's like creating uh you know imagery of another time a lot of the yeah. times and and this sort of simplistic you know i can picture like the the Chinese American in the turn of the century, San Francisco, you know, as they're really considered a, a like literally like an alien from another country coming to, to America, yeah. you know? Um, and so that, that's like a part of, of American identity is our, is our weird relationship with, with uh, newcomers from the, that aren't, that don't look like us. So, you know, yeah. I, I, I just think like on this record, he's like, feels to me like he's he's like dabbling in something that he le that later goes on to kind of like become part of his like core identity as a songwriter so i just don't know if it's all there yet on this record but it cooks no. and it grooves and it's oh, like it, there's, it cooks there's just and grooves. straight up great songs you know great like fun r&b songs 
I don't, I don't, you know, I always say this about, there's only a few artists that I believe this. It's like so far in my life, in my experience with Randall Newman, I don't even know if it's mm -hmm. Randall Newman, but I want to call him <laughs> that. Um, I don't think he's written a bad song. I don't think anything I've heard by him so far. Oh, I'm, I'm I, like, oh, I'm, there's I, no I skippers. Have I have a bad song. I'll, Which I'll one tell is you. It? Well, um, it's, it's on his 86 album, uh, Land of Dreams or something like that. River, of, it's not River of Dreams. It's in the <laughs> middle of the night. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, the walking in. The walking. That's the that's Billy Joel one. I know it's not the same one. But. It's called Land of Dreams. Did I say that Land of Dreams? In well, the land of dreams. Well, there is an, a very unfortunate um, attempt at rap, and uh, it's called Master Man and Baby J. And it's 1988, and it sounds like you know, like CNC Music Factory. Oh God, Adam, uh, pull it, it up. Adam, it's are you fucked. Adam, I'll are you pulling you this up? Because we have to. I have to hear Randy Newman. Go listen, everybody. I'm it's here to it, say it is exactly. It's exactly what you just did. <laughs> I don't want to, I assume there's a little bit of irony there and a little bit of having fun with the medium. I, I just don't want to listen to it. Like, I don't no, want that. No, God, no. I don't want that, Randy. And, you know, maybe he was like, hey, you know what? Maybe I got a hit with I Love LA. Maybe I'll get a hit out of it. You know, like, <laughs> I do think there's like a craftsman quality to him. There's like a workman like I'm a songwriter, I'm a pop songwriter. I can make hits. So yeah. let's keep and I think he's probably always trying to do that too. And that's probably a battle within him of like doing shit that's going to get him in trouble or is going to turn people off and then his desire to have like another short people that you know is unfortunate cuz it it like defines him as a novelty act in some ways for people like right yeah. away. Yeah. Um and then you like, but it's probably made his life a lot easier in other ways, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting. <laughs> like, you know, you, you battle this, like, no, take me seriously. But also um, this is a silly, I mean, for short people is a silly song. Very silly. And I guess it's about, you know, it's a placeholder for race or otherness, you know, and, uh, but it's supposed to be funny. I think he would say like the intention of this is to be funny. Yeah. Um, so it's funny song. Um, anyways. Well, here's, you know what it sounded like? I don't know. I used to DJ a lot of like company parties and they would always be, they after dinner, they do speeches and then always like somebody in HR or some, one of the employees would be like, all right, well, we prepared a song, a little rap mm -hmm. song. And then yeah. they would do that. It would be right. like, well, yeah. Tina in HR gets yeah. paperwork yeah. done. You know, yeah. we're here to have fun. Yeah. And it's just, and I actually just made it even better. Like right. my, and, and it's, listen, is it a bad song? Yes. Is it the war song? Is it, well, let me rephrase that. Is it better than most people's other songs? Kind of. So it's still not bad. And also yeah. we got a good laugh out of it. So in, you yeah. know, if, if Randy I bet knew if, that. I bet if, I bet if we brought it up with him, he would be like, oh my God, don't even remind me how stupid, you know, or like, you know, he would have a sense of humor about it, and he wouldn't be like, "No, no, I was, I, I became a serious rap artist there for a minute." But <laughs> He's like, I would assume that, that 
He's like, ah, well, I was going to be working with Tupac Shakur, and then uh, <laughs> it just went a different direction. So I went with KRS-One. Yeah. Like, wow, Randy, you're the man. And you know, the, the, that's funny you do his voice, which is not, it's not far off. Like, he, he has a kind of, you know, he's kind of talks like this. And the thing is, like, he does talk that way. Like, that's, yeah. how his, that's how he talks, and that's how he sings. So it's not like a... He's not putting on an affectation to 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 you know that outrageous like he that's kind of it's him like so you you're getting it's like I, I mean I I'm always drawn to like if I'm gonna listen to music most of the time I want it to be like a very active um, you know like present I'm listening to somebody tell me something you know I can enjoy the music but I want to hear like from this this person's point of view if it's Joni Mitchell or or randy newman like this is like a unique opportunity to kind of sit in a room virtually with somebody as they kind of share with you who they are what they think about things so yeah um i love that he has that character to his voice and that he's able to use it um you know a lot of times for humor say you know to be funny and to be yeah. conversational in the song and and have a character that uh, is doesn't sound like anybody else. I, I want to go with what you're saying. I think if he doesn't sound the way that he sounds, I don't think he even has a career being able trying to sing the 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 satire that he's singing. Do you know what Absolutely. I mean? Like if yeah. he had a, re a really strong, like you know, yeah, you know, like you know, it's yeah, just that yeah. wouldn't work <laughs> yeah, yeah. at all. It's yeah, like yeah. he almost he is almost a perfect. If you had to say who could write a song and sing a song about the Southern racism that happened and 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 Jim Crow and this that and the other thing, it's like, eh, well, if it's if it's too perfect, it's almost. Mm -hmm. It's almost, it takes yeah. away from what actually he's saying. So in a sense, he's doing exactly the style that he should be doing with the with the voice that he has, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And right, so in that me... period, well, I was just gonna add one thing. I mean, maybe no, this is the direction you're going, but it's like in that little pocket of 70 and like 70 to 74, I think those three records we're talking about were the 12 songs, Sail Away and Good Old Boys. He's, him and his producer, Larry Wanaker, Wanker, I think it's Wanker, Larry Wanaker. I don't, I can't, I never know how to pronounce it, but they I thought put it was together. Wanker. We're all uh, Wana, Wanamakers, Wanamakers. The old <laughs> Lenny Waranana. <laughs> but they put together just a, a like an incredible studio band. Like the band on these records is half the fun for me. They they're so good. It's so appropriate for the kind of music he's playing. You know, Ry Cooter's in there. I think Jim Gordon you, I got, and you got, you got some uh, people. So your slide guitar is Ry Cooter. Great name, by the way. Mm -hmm. Ry Cooter, that is a perfect rock and roll name. He you is, have, he, uh, is, he is Ry Cooter. There's he, no question oh, about God, it. He I wish my Ry name Cooter. was Ry Cooter. All right, <laughs> then, you, from, then, then you have uh, the Birds, Clarence White on guitar, and mm. the drumming of fellow Birds member Gene Parsons, and also mm -hmm. drumming by Jim Gordon of Derek and the Dominoes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's those are legends. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he continued to work with guys like that. Just super tasty, you know, soulful guys that were also, and the, the sound of the records are just so clean and warm. And, you know, it's, the, it's exactly the kind of music I like to listen to from a musical place. Yeah. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. Has, has this record or has Randy Newman influenced uh, anything that you've done in your career or even maybe like your writing process with Eric? Um, it kind of is a separate thing that the, 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 
it really has influenced the music I make, uh, but it has sure. not really influenced. I think the comedy, uh, I don't know if it's influenced it directly, but I think his general attitude and the general, um, you know, I'm going to do what I do and you can ha take it or leave it is such a good ethos. And I don't, I don't think there's ever been a, as, as even though I said earlier, I think he does try to be successful. I don't think he's intentionally trying to, um, you know, kneecap himself, but I think there's like the intention of, of, of being successful, but also like, I'm going to do my weird shit and you're either, you're either, you're either into it or you're not. And I don't really, I can't control that. Therefore I don't really care. Yes. I think like his energy there and, you know, he seems generally like kind of a humble guy and kind of a decent person. And so I think he's just like a good person to look up to as an artist, you know, he's had like a long, and he's a guy that's had like a long career and that's cool too. I think, you know, rock and roll is not a long, doesn't yeah, last not a long, long. Game, yeah. Yeah. And, but there are people that have been able to do it and gracefully age into it um, in a way that's like, it's appropriate for him to still be singing these songs as an 80 year old man. Whereas you might be a little less, you know, forgiving of like Gene Simmons doing it, uh, <laughs> you know, not a fan of him, but um, that's probably an extreme example, but it's, it's a little silly when Gene Simmons I don't think Gene Simmons is 80, but he's going to be 80. He's going to be. Probably he's, soon. <laughs> and he's still going to be doing a song called Love Gun. Yeah, <laughs> An 80-year-old exactly. man like, my dick, my dick. Yeah. I guess it's just a state of mind. But uh, yeah, I don't know. There's lots to, there's lots of like things to look at Randy and, and you know, become inspired by and, and try to live your life that way. Yeah. As an artist. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. So let me ask you this then. If, if, if there's a song on this record that you feel... I don't know, is closest to your own work, which one would it be? Mm. Um, I mean, I, this record, there's other records that have the song that I think is that I think um, a wedding in Cherokee County is about as close to like the comedy I want to make as possible, which is on good old boys on this yeah. record. Um, you know, I just like the, the grooves of, uh, of you know mama told me not to come but also like i mean i'll say like let's burn down the cornfield is also dark and funny in its own way and creepy you know there's like a creepiness to some of his stuff that i think exists in a lot of the stuff i do in comedy that there's like an uncomfortable creepiness to to it all and a darkness to it that do you I relate so, to so do you and eric when you guys are doing when you guys are writing which like the show is brilliant. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, might, I have to give a shout out to my buddy, Matt Beinfest, because I know he's listening to this. He was the one that turned me on to you and mm. Eric. Um, I can't tell you how many uh, nights I've been high as balls, enjoying <laughs> your comedy, the Thank movies. You. It's great. Um, 
but like what what is in a sense because you know you're 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 because your comedy is in a sense kind of absurd but that's what makes mm -hmm. it so great like how mm -hmm. do you guys you know where do you get from sitting down to, to your buddy to being like to getting you know what's on uh you know great job yeah yeah well there's various various routes to that but i mean it, all of it's fairly boring um except that <laughs> the, you know like the, the to talk about it i mean i just i think the, the the truth is it's like what makes me laugh what makes him laugh what makes us what makes uh, us laugh together and then surprising ourselves and surprising what we imagine whoever's watching it um and not repeating ourselves and 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 also having kind of like a a, a loose rule book or guide that like these are sort of things that we think are funny these are sort of things we don't think are funny and yeah um you know but and also like i don't know we don't we never we never overthink it never analyze it too much before doing it it's always sort of like we don't have i always joke that there's not like reams and reams and notebooks filled with un unproduced things um it's always like when you have something go with it and try to make it the best you, you got you know yeah. the best it can be and not overthink it and hopefully the over the totality of the work defines it um and you know working with other like it's such a collaborative it's not stand-up it's like a collaborative process of of working with other actors and costume people and set designers and and editors and animators and like it's a it's a collective enterprise that sure. we're kind of um you know the the captains of but ultimately it's a lot of people's creativity and input was there a sketch which that... is a really really fun answer isn't it see what no, i mean no no but like... it made, no it makes <laughs> no, sense I know. My, the question was the question was yeah. yeah no but i get it because but also the question was like it could have gone in any way and it was just a basic question but really i ultimately got to the to what i wanted to get to was this question was there ever an idea that you and eric like fought over that either didn't get made or got made what was the biggest sketch mm. idea that you guys had a disagreement on i wish i they i mean i don't want to be evasive i don't think there was anything <laughs> that we learned really early on that there's nothing to be gained by winning an argument over something as superfluous as a comedy sketch yeah you know <laughs> and that if some and we learned that if somebody felt passionate enough to really want something unless it was crossing some kind of line that didn't feel right for whatever sort of ethical reason or something. And I don't even think that happened, but there really wasn't an excuse to say like, I can, I would, I forbid this from going forward because you got to have like a give and take. So, but it almost never happened. And there'd be points where I'd be like, I need, I don't want to fight for saying you something that you think is funny. Isn't funny. Yeah. The fuck am I, you know, I don't, I'm just a guy with my own sense of humor and it's not always the same, you know, and you get pretty, you know, you learn quickly, like, well, it's not just me that doesn't think it's funny. It's like everybody else in the room. And then you can, you got to check in with your pride and your ego if you're going to really keep fighting for something or argue for something. But, you know, in general, we've all, we've all, both of us have had our days when we're in bad moods and, you know, become difficult to be around, I'm sure. But, in general, there was never like nothing ever didn't happen. I mean, things don't happen because not because both of us aren't on the same page, you know, mm -hmm. you know, you just get to that point on an idea where it doesn't go very far because it goes, I don't know. I can't figure this out. Let's move on. Yeah. You know, yeah. but 
Uh, I can't give you like a uh, clickbait headline about the one sketch. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. All right. All right. We're done. We're done here. Yeah. yeah. Um, what a waste. Um, all right. Let's hear. Let's do some facts and let's get you out of here because I know you're on a time crunch. Um, all right. Here's some some rando Randall Newman facts. I kind of think it's just. I kind of think it's Randy, but let's, I could be let's wrong. Let's find out. Let's find out. Is official, it? My guess is a, official it, name is Randy. Randall. It is Randall. It is Randall Stewart Newman. Oh wow. man, he looks like my science teacher. <laughs> he literally. Well, that's looks the other. I mean, that's the other great love. The thing I love about him is like, aside from the music not being rock and roll at all, the way that he decided, like, this is who I am. I'm yeah. not going to put on, you know, the. I'm not going to put on leather a leather jacket or dress like, you know, a rock and roller. I'm just going to be a guy who wears wears normal clothes and wears glasses and isn't worried about how I look. That is so cool to me to be like, there, who else is doing that? Like everybody else, even in his peer group is, is at, somehow affecting them to, to, a, to a fashion that feels, you know, on the fringe or, you know, I don't know if you're Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan's still kind of dressing a little like a rock star. Oh yeah, in the early dude. 70s, he, you know? he, he dresses like a, like a sheriff uh, yeah, yeah, from like 1870, yeah. dude. Well, now he does, but yeah, like even back in the seventies, there was a, a consideration about like, I'm going to be kind of on the, a little bit of a, a weirdo here. There's a funny picture the other day, some posted of the Rolling Stones now, and it was like the four of them, which really should be five because they've had the goddamn bass player of the Rolling Stones in that band for longer than anybody else <laughs> that's been in the band. Yeah. Uh, and for some reason, he's just not in any of the pictures. Okay. What does that say about them? Um, uh, there's the four of them. And then, and the, the Charlie, Wa there's four of them are all wearing like silk shirts, the custom made scarves and all this stuff. And then Charlie Watts is there looking like he works at like T row price or something. He's got like a sweater with the zipper down and pants you know uh yeah there it is that's the shot and it's like i love that there's just one guy in the band that just dresses like a normal man he's like you know i don't zero price dude yeah. holy so, shit look at yeah <laughs> so that's uh that's what, another reason to love randy is that he's like he it is what it is he is who he is and uh he's not he's gonna put on a he's just gonna dress you know he's gonna put on a um for, he's put on a Hawaiian shirt yeah, he's gonna he put wears, on a Hawaiian shirt, or he's gonna dude. put on a flannel shirt with a, uh, a, a, a what do you call it? A sport coat that's uh, the. Uh, uh, yeah, he just sends. He's yeah. got sensible shoes on. Yeah, you know he's got I mean? slacks on. He's got yeah. slacks on. He's got chinos. Adam, pull up the Google images of Randy Newman, and I bet you every outfit uh, that he's wearing, he could wear at like you know, like a not like a like a like a business you know yeah. outing where they're like, mm -hmm. here we go, pull them up. I want all of them. Look at that. Look at that. Every yeah. shirt. I mean, he is ready for a country Sports club. Why is he next to Chance yeah. the Rapper? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except the glasses, you know? And, the, yeah. and I always wonder about his, because uh, he's got this big curly fro, but then as an older man, do, do you lose your fro? Does it naturally straighten out when you get it short? I guess he's not doing a, he's not doing a perm. Back Eugene Levy. Look at Eugene Levy. Mm. Eugene Levy had that thick, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, like curly Q hair. Mm -hmm. And now he has the straightest. I mean, he's got relaxer in it. I don't, I'm not saying Randy Newman's putting relaxer in his hair. Adam, find out if Randy Newman, what, he, <laughs> what his his hair treatment is, because yeah. that would be quite interesting for the last, to end the podcast on what uh, shampoo and conditioner Randy Newton. Because he looks pretty good. For some yeah. reason. 
he does look good. I'm a huge dude. I'm listen. That's that's the thing that I'm worried about as I get older because I still dress like I'm in Mumford and Sons, uh-huh. you know. And so I'm so worried that I'm gonna be that like 70 year old guy still wearing boots and you know rock and roll jeans and you know right. like it's I don't know. I still I still use words that I used in yeah. the 90s. I still say, oh, yeah. that's bomb. You know, there's a way there's a way to gracefully do that, I think, where you're not embarrassing yourself out in public, but you also are wearing something that feels comfortable for you. And, you know, I think a few years ago, I just started wearing black T-shirts and I found like a black T-shirt that I like. And I know it's just like, that's just what I'm going to do, like unless I'm going to a wedding or something or, you know, then you wear a a white T-shirt and I wear a white (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt. I got to ask, who's your T-shirt company? Who's the T-shirt company that you're buying from? nothing uh nothing too excites calvin klein um, oh, okay all right but they just i mean they they just fit they're just the, i've tried a bunch and they're the ones that fit right for my my lumpy body you know <laughs> they're the ones that like present the most uh forgiving uh yeah. shape of my torso <laughs> uh, calvin klein's solid t-shirt bro all right yeah. let's do some facts all right since the 80s, Newman has worked mostly as a movie composer. His movie scores include Ragtime, Awakenings, Love Awakenings. I haven't, I'm going to watch that now, just seeing The Natural, as you mentioned, Meet the Parents, and Seabiscuit. He has also scored several Disney Pixar movies, like we've talked about, Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Cars. I mean, he is the man. Um, yeah. All right. He's also won two Academy Awards. Hmm. I think that's for the big his, one. I think I think Toy Story is yeah for yeah, dude. He was it's him, it's him. Daniel Day Lewis, Chino, yeah, Meryl Streep. So I want to ask you this: on the flip side of winning two awards, uh, I want to go the opposite. What's the worst review you've ever gotten? Oh God, so many. I've gotten so many bad reviews. Um, I mean the the biggest, the worst review. We made a movie, uh, Eric and I made our only movie called Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. And it's great. It's a, it's a silly, you know, disgusting, uh, oftentimes lowbrow comedy. Um, and I, th- I have my issues with it, you know, but uh, Roger Ebert uh, <laughs> really hated it. And it was one of the last reviews he wrote before dying. <laughs> oh, and he really like... Um, it felt like in the review, he like gave up on, on life in the review. Like he, <laughs> he gave up on his, his vocation, you know? And, and it was really annoying because he, uh, he was like, you know, there's like fake names in it. Like their characters have names and some of them are funny and whatever, but he was like giving us suggestions on what the name should have been like, as like pulling names out of like a Marx brothers movie and like, yeah. just like missed it entirely. And, was just uh, offended by it and upset with it. And I was really hurt because I kind of liked him at the time for re- for like this period, like I kind of liked his writing. And then my dad was like, who the fuck gives a shit what he thinks? Like, oh my God, <laughs> like that loser that was on TV with his thumb all the time, like who cares, you know? And I was like, okay, you're right. And then I saw Adam McKay, who was a producer on the movie. And he was like, dude, that review from Roger Ebert was hilarious. Like, great work. You know, we're like, oh, okay, maybe there's another side to this. It's almost, it's almost like a rite of passage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is to get that, is to get that review. I mean, dude, you got a, you got reviewed by Roger Ebert. I mean, him and Gene Siskel had their own show yeah. on fucking television. Like, yeah. speaking of which. I just don't, just, like, uh, I don't love the, I just don't like bad news, you know? And, like, that's ultimately, yeah. like, it's kind of bad news at first. And then you can see, 
but the, you, you'd be lying if you said that bad reviews are good for you because they're just generally they just kind of hurt you yeah. personally and they fuck up your movie or they fuck up your record you know because perception is 90 percent of what how people receive things like oh i heard that was good from this fucking asshole who writes a column that <laughs> has a, a you know is a total loser you know yeah. i just saw this quote from uh from martin short as he was talking about the movie clifford they did this whole like uh oral history of the movie clifford and he at the end he's like you know sometimes i do i do uh talk show appearances and i'll look on youtube and read the the, the comments under there and I, if i see one that's like you know uh, i i've never liked him or he's always been annoying to me or i i, I martin short's just not funny to me his reaction is like i just imagine what it would be like to have dinner with that person and how boring it would be you know <laughs> what a boring person that person must be and that like yeah. make, and i love that i was like oh yeah these people, I don't want to have anything. I don't have anything to do with these people. I mean, how, how fun would that be to go out to dinner with like a movie critic and they're like, you know, the the, the pasta was bland and, uh, yeah, and undercooked yeah. and this was that, yeah. but oh, what but the life. dessert was thrilling. It's like, all right, dude, life. just come mm -hmm. on, give us a break. Yeah. All right, all right. What else we got? Uh, he was. This is an interesting one. Uh, he was hired to write the score for the Harrison Ford movie Air Force One, but mm. his music wasn't patriotic enough. Oh my God, that's hilarious! <laughs> Get off my plane! <laughs> Get off my plane! Right. I wrote well, the song. He can do that. He can do that kind of Aaron Copeland, Stephen Foster sort of Americana, like this the music that they'd be playing at Disneyland kind of sound. But I guess there's always like a sadness in there too that maybe you don't want anything to do with in those kind of movies. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that one would have would have no pun intended would have flown. Um, yeah, I, I think that you know I, I love I love that the Disney stuff makes perfect sense, especially as a as a third act for him. You know, going from songwriting to then you know, like I said, we've talked about this 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 satirist uh, musical genius. I'll say it, and then and then now to making these beautiful songs that children enjoy that are special mm -hmm. and about friendship and about love and it's. It's it's the perfect like I don't think that Harrison Ford movie, you know, would have that wouldn't have nah, no. That, it's, but, it's beneath you know, him. It's it is beneath him, but it's a great movie. Gary like Oldman, the, everybody. You know, The Natural is a great example of his genius, where the 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 movie kind of plays into into what he's so good at the the Americana, the the beauty of it, but also the melancholy of it, and the story of The Natural about this you know older baseball player who's not perfect is very flawed and has like it's a great american story it's not just it's not just toby keith or the, what's that fucker who sings uh um proud to be an american oh bruce greenwood yeah like fuck him there's nothing interesting or clever about that that's just basic that's like a, a dullard's vision of america you know and yeah you got to have the good with the bad. You got to like be able to have some sadness and regret with sort of the the beauty of it all. I gotta say this because Adam just pulled it up. It's Lee Greenwood. Bruce, Lee Greenwood. Bruce, I knew that. Bruce. Bruce I, I think Bruce, Bruce Greenwood. Bruce Dern or something. Is, is no, he's like an actor. I think. I think he's who's Bruce. Oh, yeah. Green, look up Adam. Adam. Look up Bruce Greenwood while I do the next one. He's a Canadian uh, actor and producer. 
Oh, okay, what's oh, he better been in? not get on his bad side? <laughs> AFK in thirteen days. Yes, yes, I knew, I knew that was him. I knew that was him. We pull a picture of him because once you see this guy, Tim, you're gonna be I like, I've seen him. him. He's got gray hair. He, he would play like a congressman or something, maybe. Yep, he, yep. he is Congress to the max. Pull it up, Adam. Where you got? Come on, baby. Hit us with Bruce Greenfield. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Greenwood, right? Bruce Green. There yep, he is. Got him. Good yep. old. God, he yep. was gorgeous. He's, look at look like at him. A, you can picture him at like a, a Senate committee hearing, like uh, asking somebody a question. For sure. <laughs> but look, he was dreamy. All right, get this off my screen. Yeah. I don't want to look at this dude anymore. All right. Uh, here is a good one. His songs aren't typically personal, which helps make him an effective writer for others. This is largely because of his lifestyle, which isn't very rock and roll, as we've discussed. Uh, he's quoted saying, what am I going to write about? Sitting at home and reading and playing with the kids, he once asked. Wait, That's really I... funny because I, I think that for the most part is true, but there's a line from him, um, and I'm just going to look it up, that kills me every time and i think it is about him um and i think it's the way he probably sees and it's it's um it's about it's called my country it's on the record uh bad love but now your children are your children even when they're grown when they speak to you you've got to listen to what they have to say but they all live alone now they all have tvs of their own but they keep on coming over anyway and as much as I love them, I'm always kind of glad when they go away. And wow. that's fucking genius. And what yeah. it is, is like, I like to watch TV alone. <laughs> and I like it when they come over. But when they leave, and first of all, I don't know why they're coming over, because they got their own TVs. Yeah. But they can watch TV alone. And uh, great to see you. But boy, isn't it nice when they leave? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's so heartbreaking, you know, it's so, but it's so true. It's just that's it's all so true. We want. It's, a, it, it's a fundamental truth that like we try to love, we try to be kind. And there's always something that's fighting against that within us. So um, it's like trying to keep that those two things at an equal balance or you know well, be yeah, honest with it but there has to be that mix you know what i mean yeah. there's there's always there's there's some you know there's some truth in in your art there's some truth in mine and then at the same time it's like you know we, we see stuff and we're like oh let me let me write about this topic and you know and that's and I the think thing is uh, that's a, i mean th that that's that's the way brandy newman might have been feeling that moment and that doesn't necessarily mean that's how he always thinks or always feels and i find that there's in a lot of the songs i write there's some dark stuff. I put out a record called Fear of Death last year, and it's all about death. And and one of the lines is like, um, you know, fear of death is keeping me alive. That's what I'm really just scared to die. Like, I don't really care about being alive. I just don't want to die. Oh, and 100%. It's like, I don't think about that. I'm not obsessed with that idea. I don't think about that all the time. But when I'm sitting around with my guitar and that line comes out, I'm like, cool, that's cool. That's a cool thought that I just really had. And it's it's cathartic. You get it out and get it out mm -hmm. in the world. And somebody goes, "Oh yeah, I felt that way." Yeah, you know. No, nope, so completely. I think that happens with Randy all the time. I think he's sometimes a character. He's sometimes hiding behind things. But I think it is a good way to get to know the way the guy really feels. Totally, totally. This is a fact that I is I'm still mind blown, Adam. I want you to fact check this just as I say it, but. Uh, after Steve Martin came up with the idea for Three Amigos, he asked Lorne Michaels and Randy Newman to help him write the script about three silent film stars pre pretending to be actual heroes. So check the IMDb. I want to verify this because I didn't, I just pulled this one up quickly. Did he write Three Amigos? Adam, what do you got? 
My guess is he probably like sat around with those guys for a couple, like a week or something and threw a bunch of ideas out into the world and they, somebody typed them up, you know, or like, you know, it'd be cool if uh, they ran into some Mexican bandito and they (laughs) shot them up, you know, like, just like, like threw ideas into the pot and then gets like a nice uh, co-writing credit. Did he get it? He does have writing credit on that. Yes. Yeah. He gets he gets an eight dollar check every six months. Good for him, dude. Good for him. That movie made no money. Uh, Great movie, though. Great movie. Watch Three Amigos. All right. Rapid fire questions. And then you're out of here, Tim. Uh, Favorite song on the record? Uh, Mama told me not to come. Okay. Really? You you. it's just it just it's out of this record this that that's the one that i would pull from yeah or rosemary i'll say rosemary just to be cooler rosemary. okay rosemary is cool but i gotta ask you this as a follow-up this wasn't one of the rapid fire questions which version is better randy newman's oh, or three dog randy's. nights randy's fuck fuck uh three dog nights <laughs> fuck fuck <it. laughs> all right least favorite song on this album uh, you know i think just because of the confusion about it yellow man i don't need to hear him i i just don't like it i don't think i okay. need that what song on this record would you fuck to? Mm. Burn down the cornfield. There's Ooh. something simmery about that. There's something yeah, like dude. sultry on, on that record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one did I pick? Let me just verify. Yeah, this cornfield. I'd even do underneath the the Harlem Moon because it's yeah, kind of sweet. Yeah, that would be a good one. Um, For sure. All right. And then last last one, does this deserve to be on the 500 greatest albums list? And there's a follow-up I'm going to start adding now, which is why is this album important for the younger generation to hear? Hmm. Um, I'm not an authority on the 500 list. I assume it's it's vetted and well well manicured and curated. So I, I, I don't know how to speak to that, except, sure. you know, it, it's culturally relevant for his career and the content that this is, that, that it, it did break through. Uh, to a larger audience and became received well so yeah it's a significant record for for singer songwriter 1970s artist um and i would love to encourage younger people to find this that there's a whole world of music that is more of an active participation it's not just about like it's not that hard uh, around the world song that i keep hearing at at uh, you know lunch places where like, you know, that, that you could just like experience this album as like a hang with this guy. And it was recorded one day in a studio in Los Angeles. And you can listen to him tell you stories or sing songs to you. And uh, there isn't that much of that anymore, but yeah. there's it's all there to listen to on Apple Music or Spotify or whatever. So, um, and it's a part, you know, he's tapping into like an earlier part of American history that I think is interesting. and. And they're 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 swinging tunes. They're fun. Swinging tunes, hundred uh, percent. I can't agree with you more. And and also, Tim, this was so much fun. So oh yeah, it was thank, great. Thank you for coming on. Uh, promote away. Anything you want to promote? Uh, go ahead. I have a a very fun podcast I've been doing now since well for years, but since quarantine, we've really taken it seriously as seriously as we can. Office hours live, um, which is on all the platforms. We do it as a live YouTube call in show. Um, and yeah, we do a, my other show on cinema is available. I've basically gone fully independent, all the stuff that I'm not like cast in or whatever. I'm like just making on my own and it's all sort of behind different paywalls and stuff, but yeah. you can find that show at, at highnetwork.tv, H E I network.tv. Dude, 
Everybody check it out. Uh, Tim, thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Yeah, take care, guys. All the best. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Tim Heidecker. Follow him on all social media at Tim Heidecker. And make sure you check out his weekly call-in show at patreon.com backslash office hours live. Get into office hours live. It is a trip. And make sure you check out his satirical movie review show on cinema, which returns this fall only on highnetwork.tv actually it's pronounced high network highnetwork.tv but it's spelled h-e-i-n-e-t-w-o-r-k dot t-v thank you for coming on uh, Tim this was great Uh, we just listened to Randy Newman from 1970 we got the sloppy boys for new music this is a satirical rock band offshoot of the IFC sketch series The Birthday Boys their absurd songs and hilarious lyrics definitely take a page if not a whole chapter from the Randy Newman playbook and you're listening to their song Armageddon off their 2020 album Paradiso and you can find their links uh, to the music on our website the500podcast.com if you want your music played on this show send us your song 500podcast at gmail.com tell us what band influenced you and we will play it on the show to help you out next week Yardbirds 1965's Having a Rave Up Listen to it Do your homework Oh yeah Stay please She'd end up okay But despite all her promise I gotta be honest She's ten months sober today And what about Bertrand King of the keg stand To work hard, play hard Kind of guy Well you know that we'll miss him Cause he got a new position And the old traditions must die We said our goodbyes With tears in our eyes Still can't believe Jenny gave up
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, this is Mike Wiebe, and I'm the singer in a band called The Riverboat Gamblers. And I'm Zach Blair. I play guitar in a band called Rise Against. Mike and I also have a band called The Draculas, and we also have this great, amazing new podcast called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah, each week we're going to ask ourselves and we're going to ask our guests what three favorite things they are into at that moment or in their entire lives. And then we're either going to agree with them or we're going to make fun of them. And uh, you're going to listen to it and you're going to like it or we will make fun of you. How about that? I just flipped it on you, the person listening to this right now. But we're going to do it every week here on the Sound Talent Network. Once again, it's called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Next Chapter Podcasts.